Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. What's going on, dude? How are you? How you feeling tonight, man? I'm excited to be here. Little, little stressed. I've been running from one project to the next all day long, but I just got off a meeting with my publisher. But yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to talk comics and stuff, man. Okay, good deal. Um, so yeah, a little background. You're a comic book illustrator, writer. You know how did, how did how did all this start about to come about here? Oh. <sighs> Man, it's a comic books, that normal story. It's a crazy story. I mean, like I've always loved comics. I've always loved cartoons and superheroes and stuff. I've always been a storyteller at heart. So like comic books was a natural mix of storytelling and my artistic ability. Uh, I became an artist of the strangest ways. Like people always say it was a God given gift. Now when they see me draw, and admittedly, I was like the best artist in kindergarten, but I, that means I could draw like the best dragster out of a triangle and two circles. Like it wasn't that complicated. Okay. Um, but when the Goonies hit, I absolutely fell in love with data, you know, with the jacket and all the gear that came out of it. You know, I wanted to be him so bad. I wanted to be an inventor as it was. And this kid built this awesome jacket and I wanted to build it with the glove that punches out and the grappling hook, little chattering teeth and the oil slick and the whole nine yards. So I wanted to be him. So my mom smartly wisely decided she was not going to take me to the junkyard to buy parts for my (laughs) jacket. I wanted to build unless I had detailed plans because she knew I would drag home everything that I thought was cool. Mom, look, it's an old radiator. It's awesome. I'll use it for something. I promise my room would be so full of junk. So because I had to start drawing out these plans and the plans kept changing. And then I got into inspector gadget and I figured, you know, if I put a lawnmower motor on a football helmet with some blades on it, I'll be able to fly. Like that won't twist my head off. What could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. And so it evolved into that. And then it started evolving into like Iron Man suits of armor. And and I'm sure I could figure out how to make jets that would turn around my legs and let me fly out of tin cans and stuff. I mean, surely, you know, if jet propulsion labs can do it, I can do it. And 
it kept getting more outlandish until like I was just spending all my time designing all this weird, crazy stuff that fit better in the world of comic books than actually trying to get it done. And, you know, and then I just, I transitioned over to being an artist, but it's weird. I actually got to meet the guy that played data from the Goonies at a convention a couple of years ago. And man, I took him like one of my first comics I did on my own. I was like, man, I owe you my career. Thank you for the inspiration. I didn't cry. I very closely almost <laughs> cried, but I did not cry. <laughs> but uh, were you a little starstruck at first when you met him or? I was just kind of honored. Like I've, I've met a lot of other people at these cons, like while I'm sitting there and they're sitting there, like I'm so every once in a while you get tabled next to some pretty cool people. Sure. And, you know, and I've never really been starstruck before. I've never really like, there's very few people I would pay to get their signature. I just don't care that much. If I could pay to like, say, get a burger with like Bruce Campbell or something like that would be fun. There's a couple of stars that I'd like to just sit down and share a meal with. I'm not going to stand in line to pay for a signature, but, but he was one that really meant a lot to me as a kid. And so it was cool to be able to thank him for inspiring me on a career. And I've been working in art like since high school and I did some of my first jobs that weren't like, you know, for kids straight out of high school for like local businesses and stuff, designing new letterheads and logos and stuff. And it's been my job in some form or another ever since. And so, you know, it was cool. So going back a little bit, you know, you said you were a story storyteller at heart. I mean, were you just one of those kids who just started, you know, telling stories about whatever was happening that day and just did whoever, man, I was a liar. I was a liar. I did not know you could just tell stories. I did not know you could be like, hey, imagine if there was a world where this happened. I didn't know you could do that. Like, I didn't know how it got from an idea to like, you know, an episode of Scooby Doo. I didn't know that like somebody wrote that. So I'd get all these ideas and then I would just lie and tell people like, yeah, I met an old man on the way home from school and he taught me how to carve pecan shells into likenesses of people. And I got abducted by aliens one time. And and like, I would just like make up stories and get in trouble for lying. I didn't know that like you could write them down or something, but I was a kid, you know, you got to figure it out somehow. Learn from your mistakes, man. It was actually an episode of Scooby-Doo that blew my mind because in one of the episodes and it's one of the later episodes it's like just like Daphne and Shaggy and Scrappy and stuff but there was a comic book illustrator that was like being haunted by like the ghost of his character like his character would show up and do terrible things and whatever and that's when I realized that somebody actually does this like somebody actually sits in a room and comes up with these stories and draws them and that's a job and he has an office and like I could do something like that and that blew my mind I did not know that you could like actually make a living doing this before that and man I started chasing it and I started chasing it hard and you know I had a lot of close calls like after college and stuff I came real close to getting jobs at 
big video game companies, you know, that have gone on to make amazing games, interviewed with some great teams, got some job offers from some uh, like real small indie press comic book places that fell through. And I ended up just having to make ends meet for years doing t-shirts and signs and, you know, whatever graphics work you could find around here. You know, I've done custom airbrushing on cars and stuff. I've, I mean, I have made like giant chili dogs that go outside of restaurants. (laughs) I built 40 fiberglass polar bears that went into the Dixie cafe for their uh, little soda fountain areas. And they said, make them really cool so kids will climb on them. And I made it really cool so kids would climb on it. And a kid climbed on it and chipped his tooth, and then they ripped them all out. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I still got paid, but, right. you know, hey. So when you're designing all this, I mean, does it come from, like, you start with a pen and paper first and got kind of exited out on there, and then do you just transfer it over to, like, do you do, do, you do Adobe Photoshop? I know you just said you airbrush on a car, but. I mean, I've never I, know how it I works. used to do everything by hand and I built like I built skill sets and stuff that just doesn't exist anymore. Like, you know, hand lettering and stuff that people don't do anymore, like hand pinstriping that very few people do anymore. Ooh. And now it's like, you know, it's a cool tricky trend to watch on like TikTok or something. And it's amazing to watch somebody that's good at it, you know? Oh yeah. I learned all these skills. Like I used to could do like a 16 foot long laser straight pinstripe, you know, on signs and stuff. Cause a lot of the signs we do would have little lines around the outside and stuff. Um, I got really good at doing that stuff. And then my mystery illness I had my whole life kept getting worse and worse and we couldn't figure out what it was. And it wasn't until I was 30 and I was on crutches and I was shaking violently constantly all of the time that I finally went to a new neurologist and realized that I had Tourette syndrome my whole life and didn't find out till I was 30. And by this time, like it had stuck me in a wheelchair and I spent like the better part of 15 years either in a wheelchair, my bed or this recliner. And I mean, most of the time I couldn't walk, talk or see, and I would be, my kids are fluent in grunt because they grew up with me being like, like that was as clear as I could talk a lot of the days. And, uh, there was a lot of times my only contact with the outside world would be one thumb that worked that could control my phone and, you know, message on my phone and one eye that would be open about half of the time. And I would spend that time in that little portal I had with my phone and I would spend all day on Facebook and stuff, uh, advocating for people with Tourette syndrome and trying to encourage people and uplift them and, you know, counseling with new parents whose kids just got diagnosed and they're like, Oh no, is this life over? Are they ever going to be married or have kids or have a life? I'm like, yeah, they can do anything they want to do. I mean, like, sure. There are a small handful of us that get really severe like mine did. And I've got a few friends because like, you know, we fall in the same club. So I've got a lot of friends, you know, that are adults that are as severe as me, but you know, most people get a lot better at dealing with it as they grow up and it becomes much less of an issue. And I've met all kinds of people, you know, with severe Tourette's that have started their own businesses like I did. And, you know, because I, 
I can't stand for long periods of time. I can't walk a long way without the more I exert myself, the more I tick and the more I start to shake and the harder it is to talk and see. And um, so I have to kind of balance out how I do things. And, you know, I can't necessarily drive to work every day, you know, and it's hard to find a job where you tell your boss, like, yeah, maybe I can come in tomorrow. Maybe I can't come in for two weeks. You know, maybe I can talk on the phone. Maybe I can't, you know, maybe I can see today. Maybe I can't. That's a tough sell for an employer for a 40 hour a week job. But I managed to, you know, as I got, you know, I suffered for a long time. We changed some meds. I learned how to like surf the waves of the Tourette's better than just standing in the ocean, trying to fight against the waves. And that got a lot easier. And I learned to like, let the ticks flow through rather than fight them and let the tension build up and get worse and make me tick a whole lot more. And, you know, I learned things like, you know, I had to eat regularly because sometimes I get busy and I forget to eat and, you know, I get distracted. I got to remember to get enough sleep and exercise and take care of myself. All these things together with med changes and some different treatments helped get my Tourette's better. It's not gone. It's still something I deal with every day, but it was good enough that I could look at starting to do some work. And I tried finding jobs. But again, it's hard to find somebody that's like, yeah, you can come in when you can come in. Yeah. And so the easier route was looking for freelance work. And that's how, like, in my 40s, I ended up getting started again from scratch. I had to build a freelance career. What am I going to do? Am I going to go back into signs and logos and stuff? And admittedly, admittedly, logos pays a whole lot better than comic books do. I used to make per hour designing logos for people what I make per day doing comic books. Really? But the stress is so much better. Like working with com in comic books, I'm always working with clients that have hired artists before. They know what they're doing almost 90% of the time. They know how to write a clear script. They know what to expect from an artist. If they have a problem, they know how to, how to state that clearly and say, okay, in panel three on page 10, I need you to change him, have him look in the other direction, or you missed the belt on his costume or whatever it is. And when you're working in logos and stuff, you're almost always working with somebody who's never commissioned an artist before. They have never worked on something like this before. They don't really know what they want, but they know they want it to be awesome. And and they're getting all this like side influence from people around them. And so many, I spent so much time just going through the process of like, okay, this is how it's going to work. This is when I, you know, I'm going to show you a sketch. You're going to pick which one of these sketches you like. I'm going to get that to nearly completed. And then you're going to make any revisions you want to make. We're going to change anything you want to change right here. And after that, I'm going to finalize it. I'm going to make it in a hundred different file formats for you. So you've got it in any format you will ever need for the rest of your life. And then, you know, I'm going to send you all these files and we'll be done. And then we get to that point and I make you hundreds of files in the way you agreed to it. And then you come back. Well, I showed it to my brother and he thinks it's a little too big. So can we like kind of slant it and make it smaller? Yeah. And then I go back and I redo that and I remake all these hundreds of files. And they're like, yeah, well, I showed it to my neighbor and he said blue looks too gay. Honest quote. And 
So now we have to go back and change the colors. And then you showed it to your pastor. And now we got to change it again. And then you showed it to your neighbor's dog. And we got to change it again. And in the end, you get something that you don't like and you're not really happy with. And it doesn't look as cool as you wanted it to. But it's been created by committee now with 100 people that you asked about it. And you got all these random inputs. And there was so much stress involved in that. I felt like a kindergartner teacher. It's like, you know, okay, class, we don't eat the paste. And when we pull out the paste, we're not going to eat it. And what are we not going to do? We're not going to eat the paste. Why are you eating the paste? It, it just drove me up the wall. And now I'm always working with people that get it. I'm always working with people that know what they're doing. And my clients are always super excited when I send the work in. They're like, oh, man, this is so awesome. It's so much cooler than I expected it to be. You took it to a whole nother level. That's awesome. That's great. It's worth the pay cut to do work that I really love and to have all that stress gone. And I don't doubt it a bit. So, so before age 30, you had no sign. I want to circle back a little bit. You had no yeah. sign of the Tourette's before age 30? I had Tourette's. I had a mystery illness that we couldn't figure out what it was. Okay. And most of my tics were mild little things that you wouldn't notice or just made me seem like a weird kid. Like I would tug on my clothes and I still like pick at the seams of my clothes. I would wipe my mouth or rub my nose a lot or uh, I stuttered. I, um, I would repeat things I heard off a of TV a lot, which isn't uncommon for a little kid. Yeah. But like when I'm jumping up and down on my bed, screaming, fill it to the rim with brim, you know, which is this old coffee commercial jingle when I was a kid and my best friend and a little girl next door comes over to play and I'm jumping on my bed, screaming, fill it to the rim with brim for like the third day in a row. And she's like, if you don't stop saying this, I'm going home and I'm not going to play with you anymore. And I'm just sitting there crying, yelling, scream it to the rim with, fill it to the rim with brim. Yeah. And she got mad and left. And I'm just sitting there jumping on my bed crying. And I realized something's messed up here. Like I should be able to stop when I want to. And I would have little things where my legs would kick when I got tired or I get a little twitchy when I got really tired. But most of my tics were just little things that were easy to ignore. I had more issues with the autistic like tendencies that come with Tourette's. Like I had more trouble with the fact that I could not read social cues to save my life. Mm -hmm. And I could not, I could not figure out this, this foreign language everybody else spoke of social interaction and why did you do that and why did you say that when that's not really true and why did you smile when you're not really happy and i could not figure it out it's like i had really hard time making friends and stuff as a kid it wasn't until i got to high school and i met the thugs in high school that hung out in the smoking area and their social cues are real easy to read the scariest one wins And I'm bigger than everybody else. So that was a real easy language to pick up. And so I thrived in that environment. And slowly as I've gotten older, I have gotten much better at masking. Like I have learned this foreign language by immersing myself in it and mimicking it. And, you know, be like, you know, hey, did you see the game? Okay, I'll ask that to the next guy. I don't know what it means. Hey, did you see the game? Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Hey, he's talking to me. I don't know what we're talking about, but okay. He's talking. Yeah, I I did it. It works. And so I've gotten really good 
at masking at you know seeming like everybody else seeming like a neurotypical and it works really well on my podcast and stuff and i can be all like hey it's your uncle fish and you know be all lively and exciting and crack jokes and like i've learned all these tricks to use to put people at ease around me and to make people you know stick around it only really shows up now when like i get stressed out or like if I have a problem with a client or something and, you know, like I send them a page and they don't like it and they're like, you know, just make it more awesome. Sure. And uh, th then my mask falls off and they think I'm mad and I'm not mad. I just, I forget to do all the extra little things that neurotypicals do to put each other at ease. Yeah. And I'm like, look, I need clear instructions. What do you want to change? Like I gave you my most awesome page. If you don't like it, that's fine. I'll change it. But make it more awesome. Doesn't tell me anything like make her hair longer, make her hips bigger, you know, make her costume skimpy or whatever it is you want. Tell me clearly and I'll do it, but make it more awesome. Doesn't help. And so, you know, the, the social stuff was a lot more of an issue for me. Um, but like I said, my Tourette's kept getting worse as I got older. So like, as I got older in school, I would have bouts where it would get really bad for like a couple months at a time. And it was probably stress and other things bringing it on and like, you know, failing grades and all this stuff building up that gave me more stress that made the ticks worse, probably. And we would go to the doctors and they would check me for, you know, diabetes and all the things you check kids for. And then it would never fail. Like I would have some really weird tick and the doctors would always say, oh, he's faking it for attention because that's just weird. Oh. Like I remember one, one time I had been out of school for about two weeks because I was shaking and I was scratching and all these different things. And I was stuttering a lot, like sounded like I was freezing because everything I tried to say. And then we go to the doctor and my eyes crossed and they just stayed crossed for like three days and I could not get them to uncross. And he saw me crossing my eyes and he's like, Oh, well, obviously he's faking it for attention. The diabetes isn't going to make him cross his eyes. You know, yeah. heart disease isn't going to make him cross his eyes. Any of the things they looked at for a kid to have, wasn't going to make you just cross your eyes out of nowhere. So he's faking it. Of course he's faking it. And like, I remember my mom yelling at me, you know, saying she can cross her eyes too. You know, it's not that big a deal. Quit faking it. You got to go back to school. And I'm just sitting there crying and I can't even see straight enough to grab like the glass off my nightstand to try and get a drink. And I don't know what's going on. And everybody's telling me that I'm faking it. And that gets into your head, man. And that really messes with you. Yeah. Like for most of the rest of my life, when I would get to shaking real bad or my legs would get to kicking or, you know, I would start stuttering and stuff or my start slurring my speech. I would get so mad at myself and I would just try and force my way out of this and, you know, quit faking it. You don't need to do this. And, you know, like it got really, really bad before I got diagnosed. And I spent like, before I got diagnosed, like the last two years I was out of a job I couldn't get hired anywhere. I was shaking constantly yeah. and no doctors are figuring anything out. My neurologist is telling me that I'm faking it. And, you know, but all he knows about Tourette's is a paragraph he read in med school 
And he told me to my face, since you don't bark or you don't cuss, it's not Tourette's. And it turns out like only 10% of people with Tourette's cuss, but he doesn't know that he didn't really pay attention. Okay. And so I was, I was shaking so bad one day I could not get off the toilet. I'm in the house by myself and I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs. Who the hell could you possibly be trying to impress? There's nobody here. Yeah. And I was so mad at myself. And then praise God, one day the local weatherman goes on TV and does this whole big long special about the fact that he has Tourette syndrome and has a specialist on that talks about what Tourette's really is, all the different ways that it can show up, that it's not just a cussing disease like on Deuce Bigelow or movies. Yeah. You know, it's it's much more complex than that. And everybody, all of my friends start calling me like, hey, you've got Tourette's. This guy on TV looks just like you. And I was like, no, the doctor told me I don't because I don't cuss. Sure. And I'm like, no, you don't have to, dude. Just watch him. And I go on, I look online and sure enough, this dude looked exactly like me. He's a big fat dude with a beard and he was just thrashing in his chair, talking about what Tourette syndrome was, which was how I looked every day at the time. Yeah. And, and he talked about it and what it was and what it causes. And, you know, and essentially it's like the wiring in your brain, the insulation on the wires is a little thin. So okay. it's real easy for cross signals to go across. And like, you know, corporalia is where we swear or we say things that we shouldn't or, you know, call somebody names that you know you shouldn't call them. And, you know, a lot of times it's like the things that we're worried about the most or the things that we're worried we would say, like, you know, when you see your cousin, you know that you're not going to talk about her divorce and you're not going to talk about her weight gain and you're not going to talk about how her three kids have three different daddies. But, you know, when you're thinking about all these things, you're not going to say, you know, in the Tourette's brain, it's real easy for one of those thinkings to cross and shoot out of your mouth. And we don't think about how little thought we put into actually saying words. You know, like if I'm going to say encyclopedia, I just think it and it comes out my mouth. I don't think, okay, to start with an E, I got to put my tongue. We don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just say it and it shoots out our mouth. You know, it just comes out. We'll speak whole sentences and not realize what we said sometimes, you I know, agree. or we'll call people by the wrong names. Like, we don't realize how little cognitive thought goes into it sometimes. And so it doesn't take a lot for mixed signals to shoot out or random things that I'm thinking about in my brain to shoot out. And I kind of think of it as like, you know, subconscious scrabble sometimes. Like I will think about one thing, which will lead me to a memory, which will lead me to thinking about GI Joe, which will lead me to yelling out, knowing is half the battle. And, <laughs> you know, it seems like it came out of nowhere, but like it kind of makes sense in my subconscious. But, uh, and I will yell out real complex things, you know, for a lot of people, it's just sniffs and blinks and whatnot, but you know, it's different for a lot of us. And, um, sometimes I can yell out vulgar things, you know, if one thing leads to another, or if somebody makes a dirty joke or somebody swears in front of me, I'm real quick to repeat that 20 times, but that's more echolalia which is repeating sounds you heard more than it is actually saying the swear word i i could not for the life of me figure out i one of my ticks i do all the time is oh i'll yell out oh 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 all the time and this 
commercial would come on, this lawyer commercial would come on every morning when the kids are getting ready for school, that last page would flash at the end of the commercial. And I would yell out, oh, nine times, every time like clockwork, every time the commercial came on. I finally paused the TV and looked because that scene's only on there for like a second. Right. I paused it and looked and there were nine zeros on that scene. And like my brain is picking that up quick enough and yelling out all of those O's just like that every day. It was, it was absolutely amazing to me that he could do it. I didn't know there were nine O's on that page, but there were, you know, uh, this, I, I really agree with what you said just because of you know not really knowing what we're going to say next or how we don't really – some people don't have to think about what they're saying or enunciating words. But, you know, like it makes me think of, you know, podcasts and stuff just because, you know, I, I just literally just met you, what, half, half an hour ago, and we didn't do any mm-hmm. free stuff before this besides emails, and now we're having a full conversation. I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth next. And, yeah, I probably said some <laughs> shit on here. And, Absolutely. But, yeah. But then when you actually go back and edit, it's like, mm, that was a dumb thing to say, but yeah, but I mean, that's the whole kind of the beauty of the podcast and like organic, it's more authentic because everybody fucks up all the time, you know? Absolutely. My, yeah. And then you shouldn't be feel, feel ashamed about it, but I'm not really mm-hmm. sure I was going with that point, but yeah, I guess that was the whole point is just that, yeah, that we talk and we have these, you know, I guess you could say just private conversate private conversations that we i feel like we would have in a bar over a burger like you were talking about earlier or whatever and mm-hmm. um yeah now we put it out to the world for people to get their thoughts their judgments or whatever you want to say but yeah i mean i guess my whole point was that i never know what i'm really going to say i got a thought or an idea but for the most part i have no idea how it's really going to come out so it's where Absolutely. it works so that's that's what I enjoy about this stuff is, you know, getting to meet other people, getting to hear other stories, getting to tell a little bit about my story. Cause like the more I explain Tourette's to you, the better chance when you run into somebody, you know, at Walmart, that's twitching and jerking and shaking in the little cripple scooter, you know, maybe you don't call nine one one and have an ambulance brought in because you assume he's having a seizure. I've had that done to me repeatedly. Oh, I have had people like try and shove my wallet in my mouth because I think I'm having a seizure because I was shaking. And like, I eventually, I had to get like dog tags made um, that had like, it's not a seizure. It's Tourette syndrome. And you know, like my wife's phone number and stuff put on there. So like when people would start harassing me at the store, I could like point to it if I couldn't talk. And like, I used to always wear t-shirts that said, you know, some joke about Tourette syndrome or something like that, or Tourette syndrome makes me awesome. And so they could see it from a distance. And there's times that like, I would see people looking at me concerned, trying to figure out like, is he sick? Is he on meth? Why is he shaking so much? And then they would see the shirt and you see their face light. And then they're like, oh, okay. He's got Tourette's. It, it, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And that's one thing that I hear from people all the time that everybody's so mad at them. And you can see people glaring at them on the bus. And I'm like, Chances are good. They're trying to figure out, do you need help or am I in danger? And I have gotten such better results when I learned to just smile and wave. And like, if I yell out something really stupid in the middle of Walmart and everybody's head in the store turns to look at me, I'll just smile and wave. And maybe I'll say, sorry, Tourette's," and I'll keep moving. And everybody calms down and relaxes. And, you know, they're no longer worried. Do I have to worry about this man around my kids? Or, you know, do I need to call 911? It's like, 
oh, okay, he's okay with it. He's smiling, so we must be okay. Everything's fine. And it defuses so many situations that way. You know what you just said reminds me of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, where he actually had to pull that card out in the movie and show mm-hmm. the people that, hey, uh, you know, I have that. Oh, yeah. Disability. Or We've got thing. cards. I, I wear this wristband all the time that says I have Tourette syndrome. I actually made these to give out with the first comic book that I self-published, T-Man and Hyperstrike, because it was purely aimed at kids with Tourette syndrome. Okay. I, I, I have met so many adults in my work advocating for Tourette's that they can't go shopping. They don't think they can hold a job. They can't get married. They can't have kids. But, you know, my life is ruined because of this neurological yeah. disease. And, you know, maybe they blink a lot and they sniff a little more than most folks. One, one kid I met was 19. He sniffed, he blinked, and he swears a couple of times a month. And he is on disability, living in government housing, eating off food stamps because his life is over and he can never do anything because he's broken. And I'm like, dude, you can drive. I'm looking through one eye with one thumb texting on my phone at the time, you know, stuck in bed, hadn't been out of bed for three days at the time. I'm like, dude, you can do anything, man. I know a dozen places that will hire you that you can work in the back. Nobody cares how much you cuss back there. You know, maybe you don't answer the phones, but there's lots of jobs you can have. But somebody got in his head when he was a kid and told him that he was broken. I've met 50 year old women that will not go to the grocery store because they got picked on so mercilessly in high school and middle school that they're terrified to go outside. They think everybody's going to start chanting, you know, that, and they're not, but it's so hard to try and break through like 50 years of bad programming. But I thought if we can get to them when they're kids and tell them how awesome they are then, and, you know, maybe that will help give them a little strength to make it through and not end up so broken in the end. So my comic book, T-Man and Hyperstrike, I'm looking up because I've got it on the wall with all the other comic books I've done over the last few years. It, it's about a superhero team and, you know, T-Man is the living embodiment of Tourette syndrome. He has the combined motor and vocal tics of everybody in the world with Tourette syndrome. Yeah. So he can shake violently enough to bust through bank vault walls, you know, with the combined motor tics, he can scream with a million vocal tics at one time and, you know, knock down monsters and stuff. But he also has their combined brilliance and creativity and intelligence and speed and reflexes and strength. And like he can lift a tank because of the combined strength of everybody in the world with Tourette syndrome. And it really focuses on how many things it gives us. And, you know, like he says in the book is like, you know, this makes us awesome. It gives us brilliant minds. It gives us minds that work faster than anybody else's. I have so much creativity pouring out of my brain all day long. I can come up with new characters all day long. I come up with new stories left and right because my brain runs so fast. I mean, it gave me great reflexes. It makes us great athletes and musicians. There's so many of us that are drummers. Boy, I can tear it up on the drums. And it's so easy for us to break that little part in our brain that has to coordinate things so that all four limbs can do something different on the drum set. Like we excel at stuff like this. We make great actors and comedians and writers and 
we do so many awesome things, you know, and yeah, we shake and we jerk and we might yip and yelp a lot, but I like to say that's just our bodies burning off all our extra awesomeness. And I like that. so the whole book is just aimed around getting kids to focus on how cool they are. And, you know, and in the book, this little girl, uh, the supervillain gives her a necklace that siphons off all of her Tourette's energy. And she goes back to being, you know, like a normal girl, but she's also not the smartest kid in math class anymore. She's not the most talented artist. Like she loses all these skills that made her awesome. And, you know, and things go haywire and she ends up having to take this power back and she becomes her own superhero all about encouraging the kids. I nearly sold out of that first run. Nice. And most of these small press indie comics, you know, you're lucky to sell 50, 60 copies. I sold 400 without even trying. Wow. And it sold like hotcakes. It, it did so well that I have been so busy ever since illustrating other people's books. I haven't been able to do a second issue, (laughs) but I've worked on like over 30 books in the last three years since then. And, you know, I couldn't work on so many books if my brain didn't run so fast and I didn't get stuff done so quickly, but you know, it's been a real gifting for me. Yeah. I might shake a lot and yeah, you know, sometimes I might make a fool of myself in Walmart, but, that's okay. I can take that. You know, I've made a fool of myself for a lot less reasons at other times. I'm not hung up about it. People stare at me. I got over that a long time ago. So are people calling and wanting a second book already or? Oh man, people were wanting it right away. And I, I regret that I never, I haven't got to it yet. It's on, it's on my plans. I just signed with a new publisher and I'm, I'm fixing to launch in April, April 4th. I'm launching the Kickstarter for my new book, Green Zone, Life in the Blocks. Okay. And it's a whole different thing aimed at, you know, the the larger comic book audience, not just sure. people with Tourette syndrome. But there's a whole lot of my life in put into this book, too, and a whole lot of experiences that I've had that go directly into this book. And a lot of people are, you know making correlations to the story in this book, to the things that are happening in the news right now and the black lives matter movement and the protest against the police and, and, you know, police abuses and all this stuff. And, and I'm glad that it spurs that kind of recognition and that anybody can look at this book and say, Hey, I see myself in this and I see what I've been through is awesome. You know, but so much of it's taken straight out of my life and having people treat me bad because I look different. You know, I mean, not only am I bigger than everybody else, but when you're shaking and look scary, you know, people are quick to pull a gun, you know, like things have gone bad very quickly for me at times. And I've always been able to talk my way out of it, but I have stared down the barrel of a lot more guns than most people have in their lives and survived. Um. But, you know, it all goes together. I'm really excited for this Green Zone book that's coming out. That's when you you sent me that. And I, I got a little yeah. snippet of it. And I don't want to spoil anything, but oh. where, where'd you get the premise of it? So let me make sure I get it right, though, that people are born with powers and they actually have to go into like a jail for five years before they're actually it's, they're, they're good to go or they're a citizen or something along those lines. Close. It's anybody can be born a genome with superpowers. And once you get tested and they find out you are, you get shoved into green zones, which are basically like 
reservations in the big cities and you get put into the blocks, which are these like super powered ghettos, you know, and they're built super thick and super heavy so that people don't laser blast it and tear it up or shoot fireballs or, you know, whatnot. You got all kinds of different people with powers, but some people might be able to fly and pick up a tank. Other people might be able to read your mind. Somebody else might be able to magnetize paper clips to their fingertips or, you know, maybe they're a little bit faster at math. Maybe they just have pointed ears and spots. Maybe they just have scaly skin. Like, it can be any number of things. And whatever it is, no matter how minor it is, you're labeled a genome, you're no longer human, and you lose all your rights as a citizen. And so you can either spend the rest of your life living in the blocks or, you know, the humans look at genomes as like walking nuclear weapons. You know, you're just a supervillain waiting to happen. And when they tried forcing integration and stuff back in the sixties, and they put some poor little genome kids into the regular public schools with the poor little human kids and the human kids picked on them mercilessly. One kid blew up and that's the end of it. They're all monsters. They're all need to be shoved away and forgotten about. And they passed a law eventually to give them a path out. And if you can prove you're one of the good ones by serving the greater good for five years, then you can get your citizenship and your green card and you can vote, you can own a business and stuff. So you have to either like join the military, join the fire department, the police, something like that, and risk your life for five years to prove you're not a danger to humans to get out. And so this is following, you know, life in the blocks is following a group of new recruits to the police force on their first shift. And we're going to follow them along, you know, like any new recruit cop story, except it's in this crazy world where anybody can have superpowers. And some people are lucky, you know, some people get picked out of school when they're in middle school and they're like, Hey, we're going to take you up to the big leagues. You're going to get trained to be a superhero. You know, some people get, picked by the military in high school and they get trained into special forces and they have long illustrious military careers and you know get paid well and don't have to deal with a bunch of racism and stuff yeah like the cops get the worst of it because there's been a long history of genome cops that get treated like crap by the humans and they get treated as race traders by the genomes that like to go to the blocks and take it out on people. And you like, you saw that in the first part of the book, uh, Virgil, one of the characters that we follow in this is like an eight foot tall lizard monster looking guy. And he's actually less of a genome than almost anybody else in the book. Like the only difference to his genetic makeup is that he's tall and he has scales, but he looks terrifying. And he is the most peaceful guy you could ever meet. The only thing he wants to do with his entire life is get out of the blocks, open a bookstore and just surround himself by books. And he can spend the rest of his life pretending to be somebody who doesn't look so terrifying and go on adventures in books and never have to deal with people anymore. Like that's his dream. He is the most peaceful guy. He looks like a scary monster that's going to eat you, but he's not, you know, and like his only real power is a crazy defense mechanism that if you want to see a glimpse of it, you can go to my website, mrfish.com, sign up for the newsletter. you get the free preview copy and you can get a free copy of team man and hyperstrike and check that out. And, uh, 
I ain't going to spam you with newsletters. I'm just going to let you know when the Kickstarter's starting and stuff like that, because this is going to be an ongoing series. And I'm hoping I'm going to do every quarter this year. And next year, I'm going to go every other month. And from then on, it's going to be my only job. And I'm hoping to toss out some more issues of T-Man and Hyperstrike after I switch over, because right now I'm still doing other people's comics. But there's just so many people that want me to do their books. And I could stay busy all year long and pay all my bills doing their books, but I never get to tell my stories and my stories are cool. And I really want to tell them. So I had to say, all right, look, I'm putting a line in the sand. This is the point by the end of the year, it's my stuff and nothing else. So that's what we're working towards. And it's a little scary, but I'm really excited. I think when people see green zone, they're going to dig it and they're going to see just how much potential there is for storytelling in here with the, the corruption and the suffering and, you know, all the different levels of things that happen within genome society, you know, like there are people that are really scary looking like Virgil. And then there are people like his training officer, Danny Kim, that looks absolutely human. And you would not be able to tell he was a genome for nothing. And his powers are very minor. And, He's what the other gnomes call a lawn gnome because the humans like to keep them around for decoration and say, see, <laughs> see, I've got one. See, one of my best friends is a gnome. Yeah, I wouldn't let him in my house, but I like to keep yeah. him around. One of our managers is a gnome. And, you know, they tend to get all these easy positions and stuff. And, you know, they're the only ones that are going to get. Yeah, Virgil's not going to get promoted. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know, he's going to stay at the bottom of the ladder forever because he looks terrifying and doesn't matter how sweet he is or how kind he is, you know, and um, and you're going to see people that like, you know, were perfectly normal at 20 and then transformed into a genome. And suddenly they went from living a life of luxury to now they're living among scary gnomes that they've been afraid of their whole lives. And now they are one. You see people like Bellamy is one of the characters in the book and she's got purple spikes all over her body. Like yeah. everywhere we have body hair, she has porcupine spikes and you can just see from her body language. She's constantly like afraid and holding in her arms because if she just bumps into somebody on the subway, she'll get charged with a unlawful use of supernatural force charge. And she could go to prison if she sticks a human with one of these spines on her body. She can't help that. Like she's covered in it. Like you bumped into me, but she could go to prison for that. She is constantly afraid. She is constantly uncomfortable in her own skin. And, you know, and we get to see what she goes through, you know, 
what's it like when you fall in love with somebody, but you know, nobody can touch you without getting hurt, you know, like, there's so much awesome potential in this place. Like I could tell stories on this place for years. I'm done with the first issue. I'm nearly done with the second issue in my brain. I'm working on the sixth issue right now. Oh, wow. And it's going to be good folks. We want to get ready for it. Well, speaking of that, I mean, so, you know, you said earlier, your minds were always racing. You got tons of stories and thoughts. I mean, are, do you have a journal or something that you write down each story or each, you know, plot you want to keep? And Oh, yeah. Man, I've, I've got so many notes saved on my phone. I've got one note on my phone, you know, that's set up as a, like a, like a, a grocery list, you know, so you can tick them off. Sure. This thing is like 15 pages long <laughs> because every time something happens in my life, I think, oh, wait a minute. What if that happened in Green Zone? What if that happened to Bellamy? What if that happened to Virgil? You know, what if that happened to Kim? You know, because he can get away with a lot more because he looks normal. You know, he can leave the Green Zone anytime he wants and go to a restaurant or something. You know, Bellamy gets guns drawn on her if she ends up out of the Green Zone. Yeah. And so you see all this different stuff going on. Or I'll be watching TV or you watch a cop show or something. You're like, oh, wait a minute. If that happened here and, oh, if some of those superpowered gangsters that I have in the back of my mind that are going to show up later, oh, if they did this and, oh, if there were genome bounty hunters and, oh, what does the FBI look like with genomes in it? And, oh, what does the SWAT team look like? And, you know, I've got plans for like a series on the fire department following a firehouse around. I've got plans for like a special forces unit that I would like to follow around. And there is like a superhero organization that you're going to see in the background called alpha. And they take on powered people from around the world, alien cyborgs, all kinds of stuff and train them and use them as a superhero team. So like, if you're a professional hero, you're working for them, Um, you know, and the cops have to do cleanup and the cops have to do like riot control around things when giant robots are attacking the city and stuff, you know, like you get to see like what I think life would really be like in this world. And, you know, the crappy end of the stick that some people get in this situation and, you know, you get to see them risk their lives to save people's lives, but they're still not respected by the humans and they're still hated by the genomes and, you know, and all they want to do is make a better life for themselves. You know, like Bellamy with the spikes, her training officer, she's got eight months left on the job before she hits her five years and then she's out. And, you know, she is so ready to be done, but she's a serious cop and she takes her job very seriously. You'll see other people in the book that are just filling space and, you know, just riding out the clock. She takes her job seriously, but she she's legit afraid that Bellamy's going to get her killed because, you know, Bellamy does not know what she's doing and does not realize how scary she is to people. And we're going to see stuff get blown way out of proportion very quickly just because Bellamy gets out of a car and humans are scared of her. And, you know, and then we see what happens from there. Oh, man, there's so much... Yeah. So much good stuff. I just want to give everything away. I love but, your excitement about it, man. Like I can, oh, I mean, man. I know we're doing this virtually, but man, I can just feel how excited you are and how passionate you are about it. And like, I have been I mulling on this story for like 10 years. And every time we would go to a con and we're tabling and stuff and we're talking with other people, my son was eventually like, you have told so many people this story. If you don't do it, somebody else is about to do it. And I was like, 
oh yeah, you're right. I do need <laughs> to do that. And I finished one book for a client in 12 days over three weeks, which is my fastest I've ever gotten a book done. Yeah. But I'm quick, but that was really quick. And so I had like a month scheduled that I was supposed to do, you know, his book, but his book was done and I'm paid for the month already because I finished the book. So, okay, let's get started. And I knocked out the pencils for the first two issues, got the first two issues almost completely inked, got the first issue colored, lettered, ready to go. And, you know, then I found a publisher with some like-minded guys that are working together. And I really like what they're doing They're They were a few steps ahead of me on the indie comics ladder and, you know, they've taken me on and we're helping work together to lift everybody's boat at the same time. And I'm really excited to work with them and they're good at the stuff I'm not good at. And I'm good at stuff that I'm good at and we can work together and be successful. And so I'm really excited to see where this goes and Either it's a success and I get to pay all my bills next year drawing Green Zone nice. and T-Man and Hyperstrike, or it fails miserably and I go back to drawing other people's awesome comics and I put out another 30 comics in the next three years. That ain't that ain't a bad second place, son. Yeah, I ain't worried about all. that. Not bad at that ain't bad at all. So here's a good question I was thinking about while you were talking. That uh is it a standard in a comic industry to release like an issue a month or every bi-monthly, or is it just depending on you know, the comic or the artist or the illustrator or what? The big, the big three companies, you know, Marvel, DC image, they want to do a book every month. I would love to put out a book every month. I could put out a book every month. If I had an inker and a colorist as fast as I am, absolutely. I could put it out. I could write it and pencil it and letter it. And we could get this thing knocked out. It's finding other people as fast as me. That's tough. So if I have to do it all myself, and I have to help run the Kickstarter and I have to go on shows and help pitch the books and stuff and say, Hey, don't forget to check out green zone when it comes to Kickstarter, um, you know, sign up for my newsletter and you'll be kept up to date. All that stuff like that takes time. And so like, I think getting to every other month is going to be really good. If I can find that right team though, if I can find that right inker and that right colorist, they're as fast as I am. Whoo, son, we fixing to tear up some books, man. <laughs> I am fixing to start laying some pages down because that's, that's literally the only thing holding me back right now is just finding the right team that has the right skill set, the right speed. <laughs> yeah. Just put the people around you and you can go some good people around you, go some places, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was your inspiration? I mean, like, as far as, did you have a favorite comic book series you read growing up? I know you talked about the goose oh, earlier, man. but I mean, did you, I, I loved, I loved them all. I mean, I loved Spider-Man. I loved Batman. I, I had a real affinity for characters that you could hope to be like, you know, Iron Man and Batman and things like that. You know, if I tried hard enough and trained hard enough, you could be Batman. Uh If, if I could figure out how to build that suit, if I could just figure out how to make those jets work to make me fly, I could be Iron Man. I know it. If I could just figure out the power source issue and, you know, I could do it. And I, I, they spurred my imagination. They got me going, but I mean, also like I loved all the fantasy stuff from like He-Man and Thundercats and Silverhawks. And like, I loved it all. And I love to mash it all together in my imagination and see what comes out. 
you know, I've been working on one story for 20 years about a time traveling barbarian and he goes to all kinds of different worlds and all kinds of different places. And that's a story I'm going to do after green zone. I just, I got to build up enough of an audience because that story is so good. It is so juicy. It is so rich, you know, like the star Wars universe. There's so much in it to, to dig into. I need a bigger audience to read it before I put that out there. And so I'm hoping to build it with green zone because green zone is good. And but man, I love all these stories, you know, but I love the X-Men too. Like I didn't like them in the beginning when I was a kid, because in the beginning when I was little, you know, maybe middle school age, I thought they were a cop out. I th- and and Stanley has admitted the X-Men were a cop out. Like he he didn't want to have to keep coming up with where he thought of power. So they were just born that way, which lends itself to a lot of awesome storytelling, which lends itself to a lot of people being able to identify with, you know, if I feel like I was born differently, if I was born with a neurological condition that makes me different than everybody else, that's easy to identify with. You know, if I was born a different color or a different gender or, you know, whatever, like if I came from a different country, all these things, it, it's easy for people to identify with when you don't feel like everybody else around you. When I was a teenager, I understood that better and I saw the value in it and I fell in love with it. Like right before Jim Lee came on, I fell in love with it. And, you know, I loved it ever since. But still to me, as much crap as they've gone through, it's still a little bit rosy interpretation for me. I don't really think people... People treat them horribly, but I don't think it's as real as it really would be because we're nasty. Oh, yeah. I mean, we get really nasty oh, yeah. if we disagree with somebody in the slightest. Oh, you know, that's what drives me nuts with the the political stuff and all that. Like, if you can't be on one side or the other without everybody on the other side being a heartless, soulless monster, then there's there's no point in even having a conversation. You know, if everybody on the other side from me is a monster, then we can't work anything out. We're never going to get anywhere if you're a monster. You know, if we disagree on a couple of points, that's one thing. You know, but if you're an absolute racist, homophobic redneck or you're a crazy social justice warrior, libertard snowflake, like we can't get anywhere if the other side is soulless. And there's there's drives me nuts and the world is just going further and further down that direction yelling louder and louder and louder in these opposite directions and you wonder how i come up with a world like this for green zone (laughs) like this is what we do to each other and it frustrates me because we can be so much better than that we have seen humanity do so much better than that at times and there's times that we really rise above and when we come together and we treat each other with respect things can be so much better just get so selfish and short-sighted so often you know I was talking to one of my colleagues earlier today and we were kind of talking about like how people cannot like you basically what, exactly what you just said, cannot have a discussion anymore without trying to over talk over the other person saying, Hey, my point of view is right. Your point of view is wrong. And that's where we kind of got into how we, because we both listen to a lot of podcasts and we were talking about our favorite podcasts and how it's nice to even though you may not agree with, let's say, you know, let's say Elon Musk wants, where he's wanting to go to Mars or whatever. It's just like you hear like a two minute snippet on the news today or whenever, why he's wanting to go to Mars. But when you actually get to listen to a podcast, like, well, let's hear what he's got to say, you know, and it's actually just a well 
I mean, not always will, but, you know, drawn out like, hey, let's hear his thoughts. Let's talk about it. Let's break it down a little bit more without him just saying, I'm going to Mars. We're taking the whole world with us or whatever, you know, and that's. And it's it's not as crazy when you actually hear somebody spell out their whole point. Right. And these are the reasons why I want to do X, Y, Z instead of just, oh, it's this. It's a buzzword that's going to make everybody mad. And, you know, and when you boil it down to that, it doesn't even matter if that buzzword's true. It doesn't even matter if that thing's happening. Now you're spending all your time arguing about this buzzword instead of actually listening and learning. And so much of what we're afraid of from the other side, whatever that side is, usually isn't really anything. Like there's usually no real substance to it. It's just fear mongering for the most part. And, you know, it, and you know i'm somebody i if i have an opinion on something i can be real pig-headed at times absolutely ask my wife she will tell you if she thinks i will never change my mind if i have decided something yeah she isn't true i do change my mind i've changed my mind a lot over the last few years like there's a lot of things that have happened to our society over the last 10 years that have really made me have to take a long hard look at positions that I held for a long time and be like, you know what? I just, I can't stand behind that anymore. If nothing else, because I can't stand behind that because of who all else is standing behind that. Like, I don't want to be associated with these people anymore. So, you know, I had to let go and rethink some things and get to know some people that I didn't know and get to see their point of view and stuff. And, you know, and too many people don't do that. You know, like too many people, are quick to get upset about the black lives movement, you know, matter movement. And, you know, like it's going to take something away from white people, but they have not had to worry about, you know, are my kids going to come home safe at night? You know, because my kids, you know, two of my boys are Filipino. My daughter-in-law is black. My grandkids are black. Uh, My stepkids are native American. Like my family is all kinds of different colors. And, I've had some kids that I'm a lot more worried about coming home late at night than I am about others. You know, one of my kids is pasty white and the other is really Brown. And, you know, he, he loves bicycling. Like he's wanting to bicycle across the country. He loves it. He's, he loves extreme sports and stuff. Um, he used to practice cycling at night when he got off of work and he'd be driving all these back roads in the country, going on like 80 mile bike rides after work at night. And occasionally he gets harassed by dogs. He wanted to get a concealed carry license so that he could carry a pistol with him on his rides. So if he gets hurt, he could get a dog off of him, mostly just to scare dogs off. And I was like, man, you cannot be a dark Brown man riding around these country roads in the middle of the night with a gun. Like you, you cannot be, if you get pulled over by a cop, you're going to get shot. I will get asked to see my concealed carry permit. You could get shot before they ever see it. Like it, you, and if you haven't had to worry about that, this might seem kind of ridiculous, but you know, if you'll stop and listen to people that have had to worry about their kids coming home safe at night, it's not such a ridiculous thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've never really had to go through any kind of experiences like that, but you know, I've heard stories and people on here tell me certain things like that. And it just, it just opens up my eyes that 
to even thought be thinking of myself to even be put in that type of situation you know it's just mm-hmm. yeah what would i do or whatever but you know and, oh yeah you know and i want to you know talking about politics and movements and stuff i mean uh have you seen the new batman yet oh man so yeah so yeah i did my, my point is is that there is an i can't remember if i read the article on ign or where the article was but anyway there i don't want to hopefully this one this doesn't spoil anything for those who haven't seen it i don't think it's a spoiler but could be so either muted or not <laughs> anyway but uh towards the end of the uh the movie when they're in the gotham garden that uh, Matt Reeves was actually talking about he wrote that script in 2017, but people were saying he took uh, inspiration from the Capitol riots for that scene just because of the Riddler getting people from the internet like QAnon and trying to mm-hmm. gear up to take out you know the mayor right then and all that stuff. And he's like, no, I wrote this in 2017. That's not what my intent was at all. That was just, I guess, the question. But that's the thing. Like you know, it, it can be seen now. Like. I was writing this story like 10 years ago, long before the police brutality issues that have been so, you know, shown in the media lately, uh, before all the protests and stuff, you know, before it became a big thing on the news every day, like I was writing this stories a long time ago, not that these weren't still issues. Like these were issues when I was a kid and, you know, I nearly got shot by a cop. Like there's a scene in the first preview pages that you can see if you go to mrfish.comics.com <laughs> and sign up for my newsletter, uh, you can get the free preview in it. You see Virgil, like he's five years old. He's big and scary, you know, because he's a giant and a lizard monster looking dude, but because he stands up to these cops and he says, no, sir, the cops take it as an insult because the cops are used to being berated. The cops are used to being talked down to because they're genome cops. And they think he's smarting off to them by saying, no, sir, he's trying to defuse the situation. He's trying to be respectful. He's doing everything he was told to do. If you say, yes, sir, if you comply, if you do this, like you won't get hurt, he's trying to do what's right, but he's also trying to keep this little girl from getting hurt. And so he says, no, sir, to these cops. And they get furious. You making fun of me, you little maggot. And, you know, you think you're funny. And the only thing he can think of to say is no, sir. And he gets beaten nearly to death for that. And, you know, it, it goes very badly for him. That came straight out of my life because, you know, like when I was a teenager, now admittedly, I was a thug, a hoodlum. I had like the long, I had a mohawk, Growing out really long, black trench coat. Used to paint my fingernails black and grow them out, cut them to spikes, and you know, like the whole nine yards. I was, I was trying to be as scary as I could be to keep people at a distance from me. And me and a bunch of my friends were out in the middle of the night being stupid. I got people surfing on the hood, people surfing on the top of the car, hanging out all four windows. I'm hanging out the window, driving with a string attached to my steering wheel. We're all drunk, screaming, doing like. 55 in a 20 in a residential area with the headlights off at two in the morning. Oh my gosh. Cop drives by and sees us. He spends like the next 10 minutes trying to track us down, but he keeps making wrong turns. I pulled into a gas station. I'm filling up with gas. Here comes the cop. I'm going to jail. There's no question. I am going to jail. This is going to happen. The only question is, am I going to go with broken bones or am I going to walk in? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this as easy as possible. And this black officer gets out of the car, comes running up to me in South Mississippi. And he starts yelling at me. You know why I'm pulling you over? 
And I was like, yes, sir, I do. And he got furious. Now I know, you know, as a black police officer, you know, in a South Mississippi town in like in 93, he probably caught a lot of flack from white people. Like I get, he probably was suffered a lot of stuff and this teenage, you know, white boy in the middle of the night, that's been out acting stupid that he's expecting one thing from. And I look like I'm going to give it like, I look like the guy that's going to cause a bar fight and, you know, going to take on the cops. Like I, I put a lot of effort into that. Look, I don't blame him for making assumptions, but he gets furious at me for, you know, you being a smart mouth boy, you think you're being funny. And I'm like, no, sir. And he takes that little flap off of his gun, you know, and starts yelling at me again, you know, a series of things. You think you're being a smart ass. You know what I could do to you? And I was like, no, sir. I don't mean any disrespect, sir. Yeah. And the gun starts to come out of the holster. And I'm like, I'm going to get shot okay. for trying to be polite to a police officer. And if the Wendy's had not gotten robbed right then and the call came over the radio. Wow. I could either be dead or still in prison right now. He cussed me out and left and they ended up catching a guy that had robbed like every fast food place in town for like <laughs> three months. He had been robbing every place. And then he picked the Wendy's of all the stupidest places to pick because there's a red light right outside of it. And you're always stuck trying to get out. He's just stuck in the parking lot. Can't get out because of the red light. And they got Man. his car and his license plate and his, you know, all this stuff. Oh, the dumbest choice, but Hey, he saved my life. So thank you. Idiot. Yeah, <laughs> Wendy's Robert in the pen. I appreciate you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Um, but you know, I know what it was like to be harassed like that, but I also know that I've got the privilege that I could move to a different town, cut my hair, change the way I look. And I quit getting pulled over yeah. and you know, not everybody has that luxury. And I realized that, you know, so like a lot of people, I've had a lot of my friends, you know, who are black creators telling me like, oh man, you must've gotten this story from, you know, somebody, you know, and I'm like, actually, these are all mine. This is all straight out of my life. I'm glad you can identify with it. I'm glad you can see the injustice in it and that it can speak to you. But yeah, this is all stuff straight out of, straight out of me. What were your thoughts on the new Batman? It was so good. I had no real expectations for it. I didn't think it was going to be super cool, but I was like, eh, it's a movie. We'll have fun. It was so good. I mean, like there are maybe three or four things in the movie that bugged me throughout it. And they are so small, superficial things. Like in one scene, the fact that Catwoman takes off her motorcycle helmet and has her knit mask on perfectly underneath it and it doesn't get pulled off. That bugs me. That's like the comic book where they yank off Daredevil's mask and Matt Murdock has his black sunglasses on underneath. And I'm like, how'd you pull that off? <laughs> you know, they're not even cockeyed. They're just perfectly uh, on. They're like, oh, like we wouldn't know it's Matt Murdock if he didn't have the blind right? glasses on. But like little things like that, it, it bugged me. But, you know, otherwise, or like, you know, when she goes from wearing this practically see-through shirt to zipping up her Catwoman suit, yeah. and suddenly her bosoms are twice the size they were before. <laughs> 
I found that unnecessary. She's a beautiful woman. She's beautiful the way she is. I don't think anybody is going to confuse her in that cat suit for a guy just because she doesn't have, you know, right. large chest sticking out. I felt like that was distracting and unnecessary when like it was such a drastic change from one scene to the next, but that's a little thing. The storytelling is good. The basics of the story is so good. It made a Batman that I could actually believe in. Like I can believe somebody could pull this off because up until now it's all been fun, but like, yeah, you can't really do that, but there's not much they do in this. That's like, he couldn't do that. Maybe how fast he switches out of his costume, but you know, Again, small thing. The rest of it is so awesome. I just, I was floored. I did not expect it to be that good. And it is now legit. Like, I'm thinking one of my top Batman interpretations of all time. I agree. And I was shocked. Yeah, I'm still, I I mean, I I was hesitant because of Robert Pattinson and what reviews I was seeing on. But I also... The Batman with Michael Keaton was one of my favorite movies ever, and that was one of the first Batmans I ever saw. And people were hesitant with him coming in playing Batman. You oh know? yeah, I thought he crushed. How's Mister Mom gonna be Batman? Exactly. But he killed it. I think he did too. Yeah, he crushed it, man. I mean, the whole gothic Bruce Wayne part of it, I was kind of like, well, you know, that's not typical, you know, with the Christian Bell Bruce Wayne version of being the Playboy. Mm-hmm. But you know, I liked it. I dug it. It was edgy. Oh, was I was I cool. really liked him being more obviously broken as a human you know like yeah the comic books have us you know a a lavish playboy lifestyle and he keeps up all these appearances and stuff but that's really hard to do especially with as much time as he puts into being batman and when this isn't a batman that has you know tons of pre-made equipment like you see him working on the batmobile through the thing when it's not somebody that has a lucius fox building stuff for him or a wayne tech that he can borrow tanks from and ride through the city and might i just add if you want to talk about believability the the thing that bugged me the most about the christian bale batman is how does he get a freaking tank from his estate outside of the city into gotham and nobody notices. Like nobody's like, oh, big ten four there, buddy. Uh, yeah, smoke you on me being on the lookout because I just saw the bat tank driving down I forty. You know, like somebody is gonna rat you out along the way. You're gonna get caught on a traffic cam somewhere. Uh-huh. Like that. That does not make sense. That bugs me more than Catwoman's mask when she takes off her helmet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love it, man. Because I don't, I don't ever think of think little things like that. But now that you mention it, it's like, damn, how did he do that? Huh. Oh yeah, these are the things that I think through all the time. It's one of the things people like about like my character designs and stuff, because like I think through how are you going to get in this costume? How do you get out of this costume? You know, like how do your powers work? So I know how to design the costume to work around that. You know, like if you shoot fireballs out of your elbows. Do you need to have open patches on your elbows? Do you rest of the material need to be fireproof? Like, you know, I like to think this stuff through and it brings a air of, you know, a little bit more believability to it. And, you know, you can see little bits of things that make sense in the costume. And I dig that. And like, I think through the fight scenes and stuff and, you know, think through the scenes that happened before and the scenes that are going to come after. And, you know, where was everybody? Where are they coming from? How can I make it super clear in the scene that this is what happened? And, Oh, 
she lost her baton. She ain't going to have that for the rest of the book because it fell off the building, you know, unless I show her going to get it, it's gone. And, you know, but I love that stuff. It, it, it helps keep you in the suspended disbelief. You know, it helps keep you in the fantasy when you don't have these jarring things like, Oh, her baton flew off the top of the building. Oh, now I have it back, you know? And then you're like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? And now you're out of the fight. You're out of the excitement. You're out of the adventure, you know, that fight can make or break the comet, right? Just whoever's the oh, reader yeah. be like, man, that's not real. This is trash, you know, and to stop reading right there, right? You know, oh, yeah. No or, way. you know, when you have like a Batman just, you know, like kick the Hulk into the air. No, hey, no, I'm sorry. Like, you're strong, dude, but like, no, no Olympic athlete is going to kick like a thousand pounds of Hulk into the air. It's not going to happen. You might get creative with some stuff, but that's, that's taking it too far, you know, and that stuff will take you out of the fantasy so fast. You know, when, when illustrating these comics, you know, uh, who was it that designed Wonder Woman? Like kind of what you were saying earlier, they gave Catwoman some bigger tits, but right, you know, for a costume. I mean, you know, back in the day, was the guy who designed or made Wonder Woman like into S&M and stuff? And that's why. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah. So is like, that kind of just the artist behind it? Is like, are they trying to attract more of the male audience dig into that or they want to make female characters just look as good as they can because mostly male. And he was also like a psychologist and stuff. So like he wanted to make wonder woman to be an empowering figure for women, but he was also into like, you know, women should be superior over men and he liked to be tied up in his, you know, his second wife always wore these bracelets of her servitude. Like there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Hmm. Also the guy that invented the lie detector, just little tidbit. Um, But most of the time now, yeah. So many of the female characters are designed to just like get the, the teenage boy libido going and it, it aggravates me to no end to see, you know, these female characters in like a stainless steel string bikini and a thong with like, you know, metal thigh high fishnet stockings. And I'm like, okay, so like Godzilla's attacking, aliens are invading from outer space. Quick, let me put on my battle lingerie. <laughs> and, you know, is. you know, as long as the first lady and my nipples are covered, I cannot die. Like you that makes no sense. Like if you're bulletproof, okay, I get, maybe you wear something, you know, a little more show off and some characters I get their sensuality and the way they look being a part of who they are. Like, like if that's a fundamental part of their character, like, you know, maybe this is some flawed, broken, you know, Valley girl that does not know how to work in society. If she's not the center of everybody's attention and you got to be looking at me, like you can make an interesting character out of that, but just every female hero has to be wearing high heels and a thong. That's freaking ridiculous. Like that just, that just doesn't make sense. And you can make these characters look awesome and look sexy and be covered and be protected and not be freezing, you know, and. No, I agree. You're saying. I've done so many like wonder woman redesigns, like, you know, just sketching, playing around or for my kids 
where, you know, she's wearing pants or she's wearing like a leather outfit or something, or like, you know, you can do all kinds of cool things that she still looks beautiful. She still looks, you know, like an idol that you could look up to, but you know, she doesn't look like a stripper and, you know, and most of the time she does I, her costume. It's revealing, but it's not over the top, but just about everything since is just over the top. And when you get into the indie comic scene, it can get really bad. And, and those books will sell for five times what mine will on Kickstarter. Just cause I mean, the raunchiness or, Oh yeah. You yeah. don't, you don't have to be a good artist. You don't have to be a good storyteller. If you, if you have lots of, you know, nudity and lots of giant balloon boobs, like you can get 20, 30, 50 grand on a Kickstarter for it. You know, if I didn't have so many young girls in my life that I love and, you know, honor, if I didn't have a daughter, if I didn't have my daughter-in-laws, if, you know, if I wasn't worried about all these young women in the world that, that I love and look up to me, it would be an easy payday. But I just can't stand behind it. I can't show it to my friends and my family and say, this is what I did. I'm proud of this. I've got like 30 books on the wall around me surrounding where I work here. And I can point you to all but one of these and let anybody look at it. One of them gets a little gory. One of them has a guy get ripped in half by a unicorn. Everything else is all like all ages friendly. It's it's exciting. It's adventurous. There's romance. There's beautiful women. There's all kinds of stuff, but like, you don't got to be nasty. Like, like the Blair witch project was an absolutely terrifying movie, terrified the whole nation. And you never see a monster. You never see blood. You see piles of rocks, some stick figures. The scariest thing in the entire movie is a guy standing with his nose in the corner and it freaks you out. It does. That's it can be scary. It can be exciting. It can be terrifying without, you know, oh, look at my intestines, you know, like, or look down my shirt. Like, you, it can be beautiful and sexy and enticing without, you know, having to be raunchy. But, you know. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched Blair Witch Project. I can't remember when it came out. Dude. I was like 12, 13, maybe. Oh, man. I mean, like, yeah, just exactly, just like you said, like this way it was filmed, it was so realistic, but there was no guts, there was no gory. There mm-hmm. was this one guy at the end of us dancing in the corner or whatever. So it's like, that's, that's, that's scary. That set a bar for me that I have been trying to reach ever since. Because, like, I used to really love horror movies and stuff. You know, like, I love Freddy Krueger growing up and, you know, all that stuff. Until the movies turned from, like, cool ideas and jokes and, like, you know, like, funny bits in there, too. And went from, like, cool ideas and scary monsters to just how much blood can we dump out? How many, how much gore can we pack into one, you know, scene? That lost my interest. Like, they just, that's a low bar to hit. But when Blair Witch Project came out, I was like, man, they terrified me. I was scared of the dark. Like, I did not want to turn off the lights in my house when I went to bed at night because I was scared of the dark again as a grown man because of this movie. And all it was was just a couple of people in a camcorder in the woods. And, you know, like the fact that they got into my mind and made me so afraid with the writing and they didn't have to show anything terrifying has set a challenge for me that I've been trying to reach ever since. Like I want to make somebody that afraid it's right up there with like, with this panel I saw where 
I, it was this little, it was a online web comic that I cannot remember the name of, but you know, this girl's in love with this guy and he doesn't reciprocate her feelings. And in these three little short panels in the middle of the page, you just see her heart break as she realizes he's never going to feel the way she feels. And it's almost the same image three times. It's just the most subtle changes in her face and you just see her heart break. And I literally cried when I read that. And that's become another goal. Like I want to terrify you without showing you the monster. And I want somebody to cry because my character's heart's breaking. Like those are goals I have set that I am striving towards. I'm glad you have them, man. So well, one last question before we, uh, get off here um if somebody is wanting to get into comic books you know someone's starting out you notice they find a writer they really like and just follow that storyline and what you know they're writing or they say find like a guy who like yourself who's drawing illustrating everything just who had you know not so much the storytelling this one but i love you know the illustrations and i love the pictures i mean should i follow that storyline or what's your, what's, what would be your advice to somebody just follow like a hero a hero they like and go <sighs> study after study study Man, I I devoured comics as a kid. And I mean, I studied them page after page over and over and over and over again. And how did they lay out the panels and where are the characters in the panels? Yeah. And, you know, why do I care about this character? And I, I do the same thing with TV shows and movies. You know, the fact that a TV show, like a, a hospital drama, can make me care about a character and weep when that character dies at the end of 22 minutes that I didn't know existed 22 minutes ago, did not exist in my world. And now I'm weeping that they're crying because little Timmy's never going to make it to his baseball game. And I'm just weeping. Like, how did they do that? And I'm tearing it apart. Like what things did they tap into that we all share that'll make us emotional? You know, what stories and dreams and fears did they tap into that are going to do, how do they make me care about this character in this amount of time? Like my T-Man and Hyperstrike book, I rewrote the script four times because there just wasn't enough time to make you care about the little girl in the book. Like not really care. She could be tacked in, but you had to care about what happened to her. And so I ended up rewriting it and rewriting it into it. Up until then, it was a superhero introduction story that had a little girl in it. Now it's a story about this little girl that just so happens to introduce the superheroes. And that gave me the room and the time to make you care about her and make you care about her friendships and show how much her friends love her and how smart she was and talented and all this stuff so that when she loses all this, it matters. You know, like I'm constantly picking apart movies and comics and that's the thing. Storytelling translates from one form to the other. Like, how do they do it in a book that you love? How do they do it, you know, in the audio drama that you like to listen to? How do they do it in your favorite TV show? How do they do it in these movies? Like, tear it all apart. I'm constantly looking at movies and TV shows and saying, like, how they framed it, how they used color. Wow. The way they lit stuff in Batman and the way they they lit it with reds and blues and stuff in some of the scenes. It's beautiful. The cinematography is beautiful. Phenomenal. I guarantee you, you're going to see some of that in future issues of Green Zone because that was so inspiring to me, the way they just bathed the scene in it. And I loved it. You know, and when the right part in the story comes up for that, absolutely, I'm going to use that. I'm going to pull that 
And like I do so many other things that I've been inspired from, you know, if you want to be an artist, practice, 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 study the storytelling, like the artists are just as responsible for the storytelling in comics as the writer is, you know, if you want to be a writer, study the stories, look at the scripts. Like you can find scripts online for a whole lot of comics, find scripts from authors that you like and that you love to follow, see how they wrote it out, see what they put in the script and what they didn't put in. You know, how much detail did they put in? How much did the artist bring to it? Because as I found out working on so many of these other books, you know, if you find somebody that can collaborate with you, you can come out with so much better final product. Like if you make the best story you can write and then give it to me and I make it the most awesome I can make it from my end, then we are going to have the most awesome product. If you have everything nailed down so tight, no, 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 no. I want him on that side of the panel. No, I want it to be six panels, not seven. No, 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 no. This needs to be a wide establishing shot. This needs to be a close-up. Then you're going to get the best book you can create. Not the best book we could create. Yeah. But if you can collaborate and work together, oh, man, the stories can grow exponentially. Like some of the writers I've worked real closely with, they give me the script. I'm like, well, what if we did this? And they're like, oh, if we did that, then that could do this and that. Oh, and then that would put them here. And that would make this matter so much more. And, oh, that's when you know you've got gold. Like, I've done some stuff I'm really proud of on these walls behind me. And, you know, it's because we were collaborating. That's a big part of it. Fish, you're one bad dude, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> this is great. I appreciate all of it. Bob, before we get off here, uh, people want to find your stuff, find you. I know you've kind of mentioned a couple of times, but go ahead and, uh, say it again. Uh, MrFishComics.com is my website. It's not the best website, but it does have a link where you can sign up to my newsletter to be kept up to date on all the new Green Zone books that are going to be coming out, the Kickstarters, and you'll get a free preview copy of the first issue of Green Zone. You'll get a free full copy of uh, T-Man and Hyperstrike. I am Mr. Fish Comics on all the other social medias, Facebook, uh, TikTok. If you check out my Mr. Fish Comics on TikTok. I do a whole series on there about tips and advice for young artists that are coming up and anybody working in comics, really, how to find artists, how to commission artists, um, how to be a good artist. I did a whole series, the whole first set of my TikToks was on don't spend the money till the job's done. I did like 15 episodes on that because that's so important and it gets young artists in trouble. Yeah. But you can follow me on all social media, Mr. Fish Comics, and uh check out green zone. It's coming to Kickstarter in April. I'm super excited about it. You are not going to regret it. You the man fish. You the man. I appreciate this a lot, man. This was fun. Hey, I appreciate you, man. This was a fun conversation. Thanks a lot. Good deal. All right, everybody. We're out of here. Good news and good night, I guess. Later. <laughs>
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. <laughs> 